It's turning out to be a pretty good morning. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Don't turn there, but uh, it says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. And, uh, you know, in doing those shoe boxes, we were looking for something to do as a church, but it's, it's really nice to know, you know, if we just pray and let God work in those matters, we're praying for them. And when we, when we shipped them, there was a QR code. I'll get that out. I guess we'll give a handout next week with all that. Then uh, you can, a QR code is something you can look at with your phone and it'll take you to the website and you can see where the boxes went or where they are. So it's just an easy way to get to a website without having to type all that stuff. And we'll, we'll have other ways available too, I think. But uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter number one. And it's pretty interesting because as I was driving in, I was thinking on a title. It's always good to have a title for your sermon. And uh, as I was coming up 646 and turning on to 517, I was thinking, well, count your many blessings. That would be a good one. And uh, no, I didn't just make that up because we had the song. It just really really blew my mind that we, we sang that song this morning. So, but uh, here in the book of Philippians, there's a, we're, we're going to be looking at, there's, the book of Philippians is a little different from Paul's other letters. You know, in Paul's other letters, he's, he's, he's laboring under the need to, to correct doctrine in the church, bad practices that are going on in the church, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We learn a lot of our doctrine from those books. Uh, to the Romans, he's, he's talking to the Jews, and uh, he's talking to, uh, talking to the Gentile and establishing some things. In uh, Galatians, we learn a lot about the law and grace. And, uh, but... The, the book to the Philippians is just kind of like a, I've heard it called God's love letter or uh, the whole book is about joy. Paul's writing a letter to his friends at the church at Philippi and he's just telling them how good things are going. And the funny thing about Paul telling them how good things are going is he's in prison. He's under Roman guard night and day. And his freedom's gone. Even though he's under house arrest, he can't go where he wants. He can't be where he wants. He would love to visit the churches. He can't, he can't continue his ministry out in the world. But he's, he's locked up in prison. And the interesting thing about that is that Paul doesn't complain one bit. You know, in our Christian walk, and I've said this before, I've, I've, never, I've never put anybody here under the illusion that when you get saved, everything goes right. I've, I've never given the illusion that, you know, there, there's some positive things. There's, everything is positive about being a Christian, but everything in life, it just doesn't turn a switch and all of a sudden everybody likes you. It doesn't, as a matter of fact, there's a switch that turns in some people to where they just actually don't like you for no good reason. 
That happened with Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was respected among the Pharisees enough for them to give him a letter to go to Damascus and and to persecute the Christians. He was respected by by the Jews and the Pharisees and the council. But as soon as he believed in Jesus Christ and as soon as he started preaching in the name of Jesus Christ and and the minute that he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied to come, he had a whole list of enemies. And he's sitting in prison and as he writes this letter to the Philippians, he's giving them reasons to rejoice and uh, in chapter number one here, we're going to be in Philippians a little bit this this season, but uh, he's, he's counting his blessings, so to speak. So let's pray and then we'll get into the message. Amen. So Paul starts off his letter here in chapter number one and says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse number three, and this, this kind of sets the tone for the passage here. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, he could think back to the church at Corinth and he could think back to the problems that are going there and he would weep in prayer and prayer for that church. And, and for the people in that church, for the young man that was, that, uh, that, that was sinning against God, the, the relationship that was going on there, for the people that were caught up in their own world that didn't care about other people, he could, he could weep and he could pray over them. But when he thought of the church at Philippi, he said, I thank God for every remembrance of you. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. We see that word joy about 16 times in the book of Philippians. And there's reasons to have joy as a Christian. And we see Paul in prison, and yet he's telling them how to have joy. And he's going to tell them how to have joy in fellowship and prayer, how to have, how to have joy in the gospel being spread, and how to have joy in life and in death. And those are our points for today. We look at here, verse number three, he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making for you, making all, make all making requests with joy. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The first thing that gives Paul joy It's not something in his own life, but it's when he thinks about the church at Philippi and he thinks about how they're fellowshipping in the gospel. You know, in the book of 1 John, he says that you may have, he wrote these things that they may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And that's what our fellowship is gathered around. You know, we have a fellowship meal. Sometimes we gather around food. I'd like to start them up again. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> but our fellowship ought to be in the Lord. I remember many years ago when I had just started going to church for real, when I was uh, 27 years old and, and we had been invited to this church, and it's a good thing to invite people to church, amen? And we had been invited several times. And these, these uh, how, how many times did they come by, D? 
They'd come by a few times on visitation on Tuesday night. They would go out into the, into the town, you know, from the church, knock on doors, and you say, well, that's a bad thing nowadays. Well, it was a bad thing back then. I mean, there's just some people that aren't going to receive the gospel. But we knocked on the door and uh, <coughs> invited us to church, and finally, you know, like, we're, we're like, well, we just might do that. We showed up at the church. And... uh one of the things that I remember from that church, they had a fellowship dinner on the grounds. It was a big church. So they had their own little picnic grounds off to the side, and we got invited to that. And we go over there, and I will never forget, I will never, ever forget, that as we were standing over there and two fellows were talking next to me, and the one fellow said, you know, when I think about Paul, I can really understand what he's saying, because sometimes I feel like Paul, you know? But they were talking Bible, to hear a church, church people talking about Bible, they weren't talking about baseball, they weren't talking about football, they were in church and they were talking Bible. And I've always looked back at that church as a standard in some way, you know, because they were learning the Bible, they were discipling other Christians, they were going out, they were being a witness to the community around them, and there was joy in that church because they were fellowshipping around God's Word. He said, being confident of this very thing, and this is the next thing, he, he says, verse number five, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. When he looks back at the church of Philippi, I don't think I got time for this sermon I'm about to warm up on. We, we may have to continue it next week. But Paul looks back. And he's talking to the church at Philippi, and you go back to the book of Acts and and there at Philippi, he met Lydia, the seller of purple. And he remembers from the first day until today, for your faith, he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He looks back at the church at Philippi and he sees friends. He looks back at Lydia, the seller of purple that he'd led to the Lord. He looks back to that time in jail when he, would been, when he had been beaten, when his back was bleeding. And when they put him in stocks... They didn't sit him on a cushy chair and make him sit there when he was in jail. He was sitting in a dirty floor with his feet out, with his hands cuffed, up in a stock. And as he was sitting in there, Paul and Barnabas start singing and praising God in jail. And you remember the story, the, the quake shook the jail and the Philippian jailer came and brought him out. I think Paul looks back and he remembers that night. Man, he, he doesn't think anything about the sores that the Philippian jailer had to clean off. He didn't think anything about the pain. That earthquake shook and nobody ran off. And that Philippian jailer thought he was dead for sure. He was about to kill himself so they wouldn't have to. Paul said, hold your hand. Nobody's left. And that jailer got saved that night and his household too. And came to know the Lord. And Paul looks back and he says, yeah, I remember that first night. I remember you cussing, putting us in there. But I, I, I've seen you grow in the Lord. That's my one pleasure as a pastor, to see people grow in the Lord. You know, I was, this gets personal, right? I was talking to Brother David yesterday. He's like, how's it going? I try not to talk to Brother David too long, too, too often because I'll just start repeating myself because there's not a whole lot that goes on in my life. Oh, well, we had a revival meeting, 2,500 got saved, brother, and uh, uh, we got uh, 100 families add themselves to the church. And, uh, but, you know, I could talk about some folks that I'd helped, and, and it's those individuals. It's seeing those lives change that really mean something to me. 
When you when you're sitting there in the dark and you're thinking, man, hey, you know, are we really doing anything? You know, cast your bread upon the water, and after many days it shall return. And what matters is what you do with the person that's in front of you. You go for the big numbers. I, I, I joked with him. I said, well, I was thinking about opening a skate park next door so we could get the kids in, you know. And uh, that's, a, that's a good joke between us. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just what you do with the person in front of you. There's people out there that are hurting, and let me tell you, it hurts to help somebody. It can cost you. It'll cost you some tears. It'll cost you some pain. And you'll want to reach and grab somebody and point them in the right direction and keep them in the right, but you can't do that. They have to have their own walk. They got to walk their own way. And all you can do is pray and put them in God's hands. And that's hard. That's a lot harder than having something visible. You know, it's kind of nice that we get to see the shoe boxes go out. But, you know, we pack that little shoe box and we pray and we say, Lord, put this in your hands and, and Lord, put it in somebody's hands that need it and may it would be a help. You know, when, when Dee Dee got the toys, yeah, this is going to be a, a multi-part. I can see that right now. Because I, I just getting caught up in the fellowship and Paul thinking about it, you know. And... uh but you, you, you send them out, you pray for them, and all you can do is, is see where they go. But we can't see what takes place, and we don't have to be with them day by day, and we don't have to be with them through the daily struggles. You know, and we don't have to be with them through getting up in the morning and finding food that day. But we can pray for them and keep them in our prayers. And this is what kept Paul going. Paul was locked away in prison. And they looked at him and said, you're stuck now, Paul. You, where is your ministry now? You know what Paul said? It's right here. Here's your ministry. And Paul prayed for those churches. Paul got down on his knees and he, he held that letter he got from the church at Corinth and he prayed over them. He, he was praying over the Ephesians and as he wrote the letter to them, Philemon had come and he... <clears throat> But he had he had prayed over each of those churches and each of those people that he met. And as he looked back in time, all the beatings and all the suffering that he did, that didn't matter one bit. Because we see here in first chapter of Philippians that Paul had joy because he focused on the things that God was doing. He joyed in their fellowship. He said, I thank God upon every remembrance of you for the fellowship in the gospel and he, he had joy in their grace. In Philippians 1.6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul thought back to him, and he said, They're in God, You're in God's hands. As long as you're maintaining fellowship with the Lord. And the one thing that I teach here is fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I could get up here and I could hammer on attendance. Oh, boy, you'd like that. I could get up here and I could say, man, you need to be in church every time the door is open and sometimes when they ain't, waiting on them to open. And I could just get on you for that. But that's so shallow because your fellowship is with Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be like John Walton. You know about John Walton, right? His church was out on the boat, out on the water in the boat fishing. That's what he told the kids one day. Daddy, why don't you go to church with us? 
well, I, you know, I'm out there with the Lord on the boat fishing. <laughs> and, and that was a good thing, I guess, in the show. But, you know, you need to be fellowshipping around other people. And I know it's hard sometimes. I know that people hurt anytime you gather people together. And I, I just don't know how to explain this to people enough. Well, there are just a lot of hypocrites in church. I mean, that's the easy thing to say. There's a lot of hypocrites in church. Well, we, I'll say it again. We got room for one more. But the thing is, anytime you get people together, you're going to have a little bit of friction. I don't care what organization. It's not because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because people gather and they don't include the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did I get Siri going there? <laughs> it's for the... It's because people don't gather around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't feel bad, Miss Maxine. I had Siri turned on one time, and she was talking back to me when I was preaching. <laughs> I, I did away with that. I, you got to push the button now if she's going to talk. She, <laughs> she doesn't listen in. But uh, it's, it's gathering around the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's going to be friction Anywhere there's people. I know I'm repeating. I'm trying to catch up with myself. But there's, there's going to be friction anytime people get together. My dad's part of a ham radio club in Texas City. And some of the stories I hear out of that, you would think it was a church. <laughs> One person vying for leadership. I mean, we're talking some, uh, you know, about 10 old men that gather on a monthly basis, you know. And, and some young guy comes in, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do it. And it's like, man... <laughs> Over at the VFW Hall, I won't tell you where, but I know where. I, I heard complaints about the person that took over leadership of that. And you know what that is? That's a, that's a stinking bar. And I say stinking because there's, some, there's been about 50 years worth of cigarettes in that place. And I've worked up in the attic there. But, you know, the politics that goes on because somebody else was in charge and, and complaining about their leadership. You're going to have that. But you know, when Paul thought of the church of Philippi, he didn't have the problems. He was thinking about their fellowship in the Lord. And he had a reason to rejoice over that. And they were part, partakers of Paul's grace. Philippians 1.7, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Paul knew that they were out there praying for him. They had provided for him materially. They had provided for his needs. And he, he says, you're partakers of my grace. The same grace that I'm getting. Here, here I am in bonds and you hadn't left me alone. Here I am trapped in prison and you hadn't left me alone. You're all partakers. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, he knew that they weren't just providing his needs, but they were also getting the gospel out that they were confirming, that they were preaching the gospel. And in Philippians 1.8, he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, in the bowels in those days, in the, in the words, in the King James words, that's just the inner man. That's just the inside. That's all-encompassing. Man, the devil's all around. But the, that's the inside of the man. And he is just a whole part of him. And then he prays for him. 
And he prays five things for him. Look at Philippians 1.9. He said, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent. And uh, he says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. So he prays that they be, may be sincere till the day of Christ, that you may be without offense until the day of Christ, that you may be filled with the fruits of righteousness. In Philippians 1.11, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, when you think about fruits of righteousness, you can go over mentally into Galatians chapter number five, and you look down there and you see the nine fruits of the spirit. You go over to John chapter 15, because I've taught this a few times, but you go over to John 15, and you see where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Let me tell you something. You don't produce fruit by thinking about it. You produce fruit by being who you are. An orange tree produces oranges. An apple tree produces apples. A bad Christian produces bad fruit. A sinner produces sin. But a good Christian who is abiding in Jesus Christ, who's planted there with Jesus Christ, whose source of his nutrition comes from the main vine, from the main trunk, who's Jesus Christ, will produce good fruit. The tree never sits there and thinks, well, I'm going to be an apple tree. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to produce fruit, man. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to work. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to produce some fruit. And count, the, count them coming in. Count them coming in. No. You do it by abiding in Jesus Christ, and then you begin to bear fruit. You look over there in Galatians chapter 5. We don't have time for it now. You don't have to right now. But you can look over in Galatians chapter 5 and read about the nine fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. And then there's joy in the gospel. We may chop it off on this one. But Philippians 1.12, he says, But I would, you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, there's a thing to say. It's kind of like when Joseph was thrown in prison, and his brothers get there, and, and they realize, whoa, we are bowing down to him. And they're fearing, and he says, fear not. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God has a way of turning those circumstances around. You know, we, we've had conversations before. I've, I've seen y'all get a little hurt when I talked about, well, you know, I left Georgia and I, I don't think I was supposed to. And y'all said, but you wouldn't be our pastor. I got another friend. He got saved because he met me. And he worries about that, not, not having met me. Of course, he'd meet Jesus, Jesus Christ can send anybody. God can send someone. But the thing was, God didn't let that be the end. God used it. And Paul is saying, here I am in prison, but God is using it for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, God means it for good. And then he goes on to give the reason. There's a, there's a spreading of the gospel that's going on and a spreading of boldness. He says in Philippians 1.13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now, when you say that word, all the palace, that means everywhere. You can talk about praetorium, anything that has to do with the government, 
The gospel was getting out because Paul was planted right there in the middle of it. I'll never forget Brother Luther Spivey's sermon because his sermons are memorable. And he had one of the other preachers tie a rope and hold him there. And he'd sit there and pretend to read or pretend to write. And the preacher would go, what are you writing there, Paul? And buddy, he'd unload. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about what he's done for me. Let me tell you about serving God. And, you know, and Paul's there tied up with a Roman soldier, and he's spreading the gospel. They change shifts, and here comes another one. You ever, you ever come out of surgery? You know that anesthetic, anesthetic effect? I used to run my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I, you know, I've had a few hernia operations. I came out of one surgery, I was doing this. I remember the nurse saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm surfing the internet. <laughs> I came out of another one. There was a woman, stand, a nurse standing there checking vitals or whatever. I said, I said, where would you go if you died today? Do you know Jesus? That old cranky nurse took over for her. But wherever you are spreading the gospel, wherever Paul was, he was spreading the gospel. And he says in Philippians uh, 1.13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And then verse 14, and many of the brethren of the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, that's the thing about the gospel. We see over in Acts chapter number eight. After the first martyr, after Stephen is stoned to death, and then they begin persecuting the church. I love that phrase. And they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You know, a grease fire, what's the worst thing you can do to a grease fire? What do they tell you not to put on it? Water. They tell you not to throw water on a grease fire. Why is that? Because it'll cause it to spread. You got a little bit of oil on fire here. You throw water on it, and it's going to go everywhere and catch fire on everything. And that's what happens when they attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. They went everywhere preaching the word. And as Paul's sitting there in prison, and he's, he's writing to the Philippians, he's heard about these other preachers. Paul, there's some preachers out here. They're trying to make you look bad. There's some of them that are out here saying, Paul's in prison. You don't want to be like Paul. You don't want to listen to Paul. But let me tell you about Jesus Christ. There were others that were saying, no, Paul's a good guy. (laughs) You want to follow. I know Paul. And these guys aren't Paul. You need to follow his example. And they're bold. They're emboldened to preach the gospel. Because, you know, sometimes you got the one fella that's, that's really bold to speak. Just putting it in practical terms. Nuts and bolts here. You have someone that's really bold to speak. What happens to the ones that aren't? They tend to stay quiet. Amen? You follow me on that? So you got somebody that's bold to speak, and Paul's putting in prison, and they're like, well, there's nobody else going to do it. Lord, send me. (laughs) And they're out there. He says, waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some of also of goodwill. 
That's something you'll see, one minister uh, jealous of another minister's ministry. But he says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some of goodwill. The one preach Christ with contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They don't really mean what they say. They're out there, and they're, but they're preaching Christ because they want to make Paul look bad. I don't know how that works. I really haven't figured that out. But they, they want to preach Christ to make Paul look bad. And then there's others, he says, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So he's got people talking bad about him. He's got other people that don't. Let me tell you something, Christian. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're going to have enemies. You know, this Christian life, you sit in church and you get all the positive blowing at you. And, oh, man, you know, oh, I get the good parking spaces now. I, You know, I just pulled up and that, that parking space was open right there at the front, man. God was in that. Let me tell you, I go walk into the elevator, the door is open. It felt like that one time going to the hospital to visit somebody. It just felt like God was going before me. I walk up to the elevator. The door is open. I get in. And I'm going up to visit their floor. Just feel like God's all in. But that's not the way the gospel works. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. It's not about a better life. It's about eternal life. And it is a better life, but not in the way that you think. Paul's sitting in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is getting talked about. Paul is, is being verbally attacked. Paul is being, I keep searching for, searching for words here, but Paul is, is, is being put down because of his stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is being hated. He was stoned to death. He was hunted down. He had men that swore that, I, I still don't know how that worked out, but they swore that they wouldn't eat until they'd, they'd killed him. <laughs> that didn't work out. But he says, and Paul looks at all this and he says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Reasons to have joy. So let me tell you something, Christian. We'll wind it up right around here. There are plans. There are people that come up with ways to make their own life better and more comfortable. Following Christ isn't one of those plans. The Bible says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It might be a dirty look. It might be something else. But the point is, it doesn't really matter what they do. It matters what God does. You want to change your whole outlook? You want to change your whole aspect on life? Ask what God is doing. Paul looks at this and he says he's, he's rejoicing because he sees God working in their lives at the church at Philippi. Paul is rejoicing because the gospel is going out. You got competing ministries. I mean, there's, there's some preachers I don't agree with doctrinally on some things, but you know what? I, I, I've seen that man lead more people to Jesus Christ, and I cannot take anything away from the ministry that he does. Whatever else he does, that's between him and God. But 
the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth, God can take care of his own people. Do you know that he died on the cross for your sins? We couldn't work our way into heaven. We couldn't do enough to get there. But it's knowing Jesus Christ. When you help someone and they go away, you put them in God's hands and you keep them in your prayers. We get sad, but rejoice in what God does and in where he's working. Paul looks at that and he says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Through prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ. He knows that God's going to take care of him. And he knows that God's taking care of the gospel. I want to leave you with these last two things. Not points. But he says, according, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, I hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And the final thing is joy in life and death. It doesn't matter what this world can do to us. Paul says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what shall I? Let's see. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he talks about that conflict. He said, for me to go to Christ is far better, but to stay here with you is needful. And I, I know there's a few people that think like that. It's like, I'd like to just go home. Man, I'd like to be raptured out. But maybe God's got something for you. Maybe if you're disobedient, you'll see God work in someone's life. Jesus Christ ought to be the center of your focus, and that's where your joy comes from. It doesn't come from a cushy life, a comfortable seat a nicer car. It doesn't come from any of those things. It comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ and seeing him work in your life. All right, Miss Maxine.